if you are um, participating with the Faith at Home campaign, um, I want to encourage you to grab one of those out in the foyer this morning and, um, again, gives you something to do tangible at home with your family as we really try to write God's Word on our heart as we work through these fruits of the Spirit. And today, we're going to talk about kindness. And I typically try to start with some type of story that gets your mind moving in another direction, in a certain direction. But as I was thinking, there's not one story of kindness that comes to mind. Instead, it's hundreds of stories that I get to hear every week of people showing kindness to other people. Whether it's something simple like a a letter in the mail or a phone call, um, a hug, taking someone to a doctor's appointment, going and serving someone who is without food. Um, And I hear these stories so, so often of people showing kindness to people in our church. And as we talk about kindness, I, I want you to understand we're not talking about just the, let's just try harder to be kind to people. But rather this fruit that is flowing out of our life as we try to follow Christ. But kindness is not always easy because there are times our situation actually dissuades us from being kind. In psychology or sociology, they call it a bystander effect. So watch this. Liverpool Street Station in London, a busy thoroughfare for commuters. Uh, uh, Unknown to these uh, passers-by, Peter is an actor. Uh, As part of an experiment on bystander apathy, he's pretending to be ill. Help. Help. Uh, How long before he gets help? Help. Help Helping would be inconvenient or even risky. He lies there for more than 20 minutes and no one raises an eyebrow. It's always very distressing to watch situations like this where people are obviously suffering and no one's actually helping them. But what we have here is two conflicting rules. One is the rule that we ought to help and the other is the rule that we ought to do what everybody else is doing. And here you have a, a group of, effectively a group of strangers who are exerting the pressure not to intervene, not to help. And it's very difficult to rebel. Ruth, another actor, takes Peter's place. How long before she receives help? Four minutes later and 34 people have passed without stopping. Well, people don't really want to know that they just haven't got the time. Well, they have got the time, they just don't want to get involved. Unwittingly, these strangers have silently formed a temporary group with a rule, don't get involved. They're afraid to stand out from the crowd and won't take action if no one else does. This woman has clearly spotted Ruth, but she conforms to the rule and does nothing. Watch what happens, though, when someone else helps. Yes, thank you. She suddenly finds herself in a different group with a new rule to help. First I thought she was dead. Then I saw to check to see if she was breathing or not. 
And I looked around and I couldn't believe that no one had noticed her because there was a bloke sat there just absorbed in reading a newspaper. This time, Peter's dressed as a respectable gentleman. Now that his dress is in keeping with those around him, how long before he's rescued? Hello, sir. How are you today? I'm all right. Six thanks. seconds. She even on? calls him sir. And suddenly, no, everyone's fine. a good Samaritan. Do you suffer from epilepsy? No. Why you're lying on the floor in the rain? Because he's part of the right group. Everyone wants to help. I would just hate to be in his position of feeling ill um, and nobody helping and walking past, so I'd just like to check that he was okay. And I thought, well, it's wet, so he must really be ill because he's going to ruin his suit anyway. <laughs> As you watch that, you, you can't help but ask the question, well, if I were in their shoes, what would I do? Would, would I stop and help? And I'm sure every single one of us thinks, well, yeah, I, I would. But it's interesting that you put people in a situation where people aren't flocking to help and people aren't trying to show kindness. And the rules seem to change. What you think you would do, you don't actually do. As we talk about kindness, understand it's not just simply about, okay, today I'm going to try harder. In any of the fruits that we've been talking about, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, um, it, it's not about just trying harder. Because what we've said from the beginning in this series is that we are like that tree, that fruit tree that's planted in deep, rich soil. And it, when it's watered and when it gets access to the sun, that it, it grows up. And it doesn't happen just overnight. It's not these decorations that we put on a Christmas tree, but it's this tree that's growing up to be strong and healthy and producing fruit year after year after year. And for me, I, I think of kindness as this cognitive process where, where I stop, I literally stop when I see opportunities to be kind, and I think through the situation. What, what if I do show kindness here? What could it cost me? Is it safe? Do, do I want to get involved? Is it, do I have time? And it becomes this very cognitive process. But what these fruits are supposed to be doing in our lives are flowing out of us. So it becomes something natural that we see opportunities to serve. We see opportunities to help. And we do. Because the whole purpose, and as we've said through this series, Christ-likeness grows up in us so that Christ's likeness may flow out of us. And when we come to this idea, so and just let me give you an idea of where we're going to go this morning. I want to talk about the Jewish origin of this word kindness and where it comes from. And then I want to talk about a parable that Jesus tells and two really important questions that come with it. And then I want to talk about the next story, your story, and our story. And so this idea of kindness, if you were to look back to the Jewish roots and the Jewish origin, there's not actually a Hebrew word that's literally translated kindness. But it is a concept, kind of like we talked about last week. And it's not always just seen where you see this word appear, but this word is chesed. And it's spelled C-H-E-S-E-D. Chesed. 
and it means it's translated so many different ways through our scripture. Steadfast love, loyalty, mercy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, loving kindness. And you see this concept coming up over and over again. And this word hesed occurs um, 249 times in the Old Testament. Majority of them are referring to God, and they're found in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. The rabbis say that the Bible begins with God's hesed. Um, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And so they were without clothes, they were naked, they realized it, and God's kindness to them is he clothes them. And then the Torah ends with God's kindness. Is it, the rabbis say, well, God buried Moses. They gave him a grave. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died and there in Moab. And as the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab. So God buries Moses and showing his kindness. But this idea, um, I said, is not really easily translated. Here's what chesed really means. It's getting involved with personal sorrows and strains of others' life to the point where it may well cost me pain, real pain, and some serious inconvenience. And the rabbis were really sure to differentiate between kindness and charity. Kindness is something that you show to people just as charity is. But charity is shown um, to poor people. It's usually with money, and it's always someone who is living. But when you talk about this idea of hesed, it's this idea that it can be giving of either self or money. It can be for someone who is rich or poor. And it could even be for someone who is living or dead. How how can you show kindness to a dead person? Well, you can take care of their body. You can prepare it for burial. You can take care of the body and make sure it gets to the the grave. There, There are ways that you can show kindness. And so this idea of kindness is not just, hey, we're going to do something for someone else, but it's this idea that we're going to step outside of ourself and give of ourselves, and it probably will inconvenience us in doing so. Um, I I think maybe one of the really great examples of kindness that I've seen was actually um, Friday. Friday, we decided to make this trip to Cleburne, Texas, to see our friend Brody Nelson. Um, And I know a lot of you know that he got sent home from St. Jude this last week, and it was basically at the point where we can't do anything else for him. And so we decided Friday we were going to drive to Bandina in South Texas, the hill country, to pick up our kids from camp. And so we got Ryan and Gracie, and then we drove to Cleburne that night. And so over the last two days, we've driven 750 miles, and we're a bit tired um, and emotionally and physically just drained. But we got to see our friend. And I think worth it um, for every, every mile we drove. But we had finished dinner, and it was about 6.30 in the evening. We were in Fredericksburg, and we were heading to Cleburne, which we didn't make it to Cleburne that night until about 11 o'clock p.m. We left our house at 8 that morning. Um, we had finished dinner, 
and heading on the highway, and we were driving 70, 75 miles an hour, just like the speed limit says, and we came to the stop, and we made a right-hand turn onto what looked like a brand-new highway. Um, it was not a highway, um, and the police officer who pulled me over <laughs> said, um, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, I have a pretty good idea. He said, um, I clocked you at 59 in a 40. Where are you headed? And so I kind of explained to him our day. And he heard the kids in the back. We had all four kids with us in the back rummaging around. And um, he said, well, let me go look at your driving record. And so he goes back and searches it. And thanks to good lawyers, my driving record is spotless. Um, no, um, he goes back and he looks and he comes back and he says, um, we just got back from a trip yesterday or this past week. And I know as you get closer to home, you're tired and your foot gets a little heavy. So I'm just going to give you a warning. And I may have mentioned we were going to see our friend who has cancer. But I did not have to get to the part where, and I've got to get home so I can preach Sunday. That's usually the, yeah, that, that'll get you the warning. No. Um, <laughs> but he says, um, I know what it's like to be traveling and to be tired and just wanting to get there. So I'm just going to give you a warning. And I was driving away, and I, did, I told Cam, I said, well, that kind of works for Sunday. <laughs> because really, that's, that's what kindness, I think, looks like. It's the fact that we've been in someone else's shoes, and we've been through difficult times, and we've hurt, and we've cried, or we've, we just needed someone to step in and show us kindness, to show us mercy. And I think that that police officer demonstrated this idea of chesed so beautifully. And throughout the Scripture, it's translated, as I said, in a number of different ways. For instance, um, in Psalm 51, David pleads for it. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And the word he uses there is that word chesed. In Psalm 136, which Corey read this morning for us, um, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His chesed endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. And the, these, these writers, these psalmists had this sense that God's kindness is so big and so visible that you cannot help to miss it. And he, ends, he goes on 26 times, 26 times. It says, to him who alone who does great wonders, his love endures forever. And it almost always occurs within the context of covenant. God's love for his people. And when God's covenant people fail to show their kindness, their devotion, their loyalty, their love to God, God never does. He's always showing his love and his kindness to people. And Jesus tells a story about kindness, a parable. And it's one that you have probably heard numerous times. 
It's one that's used for titles of stories, but this story of a good Samaritan. If, if you understand the Bible, this journey that God is taking his people on, it is this journey to learn to live in community with one another. As creation begins to crumble and fall apart and go a different direction, and you come to the story of Babel where each these groups are trying to make a name for themselves and distinguish themselves, separate themselves from everyone else, God sends his people and he says, here's the purpose of my people. It's not to bring division, but it's to bring everything back together. It's to bring unity. And it's for this world to be healed and to find wholeness and oneness. And so Jesus is asked by an expert in the law. He stands up to test Jesus. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But it says the expert wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so you've, you've heard this story, but here's how it begins with this expert trying to test Jesus, trying to figure out how righteous really he can be. And he asked this question, and Jesus is going to tell this story because he's really drilling down at a couple of questions that I think all of us are supposed to wrestle with. One is, who are we to show kindness to? Of course, that's simple. That's the idea of the story. But I think there's a deeper question within this that's so important. And it's, is it possible for the law to keep us from showing kindness? Is it possible that the law that was meant to teach us to live in community could actually deter us from showing kindness to someone? And so Jesus continues this story, and he says this. In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And he saw him. He took pity on him. He went down and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had showed mercy. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so this story is centered around 
a road. And it's a road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a road that would have been so well known by the people during this day. And there's a little bit of humor, I think, mixed into this story. And, And when you see the picture of the road, you'll understand why. This is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, It was very windy. It was very narrow. It was in the mountains and on these cliffs. And it was a very difficult area to traverse. And so when he says he passed by on the other side, you have to go back to the road. You have to understand there is no other side. Right? There, there's not an, another side. If you go on the other side, you step off of a cliff on this road. And this road was known, it was called the Way of Blood because robbers and thieves would hang out here. There were so many places to hide and they could jump out and attack people. And so they called it the Way of Blood. And this was the road Jesus places this parable on. It's the context of the story. And secondly, it's about a Samaritan. You have three people who pass by two on the other side. You have a Levite and a priest, and then you have a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were this group basically despised by the Jewish people. Because when they were in exile, they were Israelites who were in, <clears throat> excuse me, in exile, and in exile they began to intermarry. And instead of marrying other Jewish people, they were marrying from all over the world. And so for the true Israelites, they despised these people. And there was a battle that really took place between these two groups of people. The Samaritans rejected the authority of the Torah and claimed that they were the true ancient Israelites. <clears throat> Their temple, where they worshipped, was out on Mount Jermez and not in Jerusalem. It was destroyed. The Samaritan temple was destroyed in 128 B.C. And the Samaritans, in turn, desecrated the Jewish temple in 9 A.D. by scattering human bones all over the temple during Passover. And so there's this battle that's going on between these two groups. And so you have this priest that passes by. You have the Levite, which in our mind, you would think, well, that's obviously the person that would stop and help. It's the Samaritan, though, that stops and helps. It's the one that's despised, who wouldn't be expected to do this, because obviously those people would not do something like this and show kindness. But I said there was that deeper question. Is it possible that the law can kind of dissuade you and push you away from showing kindness to someone else? And I think the reason why is because for the priest and the Levite, there are all kinds of laws for cleanliness things they were allowed to do. You know, most of us, we do our year reading of the Bible and we skip over the book of Leviticus. Um, There's actually some really important stuff in there. And one of the things it talks about is cleanliness laws. 
And for a priest or a Levite who touches a dead body or comes in contact with blood, there are certain rituals that they would have to do to make themselves clean. They would find themselves on the outside of the camp looking in. So it's entirely possible that the priest and the Levite pass by this man who has been beaten and left half dead and have compassion and pity in their heart, but choose to not do anything because they are trying to obey the law. They could be trying to honor God by walking around this man because they don't want to do something that would make them unclean. But if you remember the purpose of the law was to teach people how to live in community with one another, how to find unity, how to live together, how to be one. That was the goal. And in Micah, um, the prophet says this, he has shown you, O moral, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. To be someone who is kind and who is showing mercy and walking with God every day. And so the law could be what it is that prohibits this man, these two men, from stopping to help. We, we want to. But if we were to stop and help, if we were to touch someone's blood... We would be unclean. We would be put outside of the camp. We would be found on the outside looking in. And I think so many times we look at the law and we say, well, that's, that's wrong, right? It, it punishes them. But the law served a beautiful purpose. Because how is disease spread? Through death, especially during this age, through disease, through blood, through fluids. And so the law says that you're going to go live outside of the camp for seven days or whatever the period of time that particular law says. But the beautiful part of it is it allows you to come back into the community. See, we look at those cleanliness laws and we think, well, that just separates people. But what it does is it actually allows people to come back into community in good standing as they were, as a part. It's not separating and pushing apart. But the purpose was to bring back together. It was to provide a way back into community. And so this law that is given was so important. The rabbi said that the purpose of, of showing kindness, and what, it, what did it look like to show kindness? He said, to visit the sick, to bring comfort to the mourners, to help remove dead from the home, to bring the bride to her wedding, to accompany guests into your house, to participate in all aspects of burial, to carry the casket, to walk in honor before it, to eulogize the dead, to dig the grave, and to do the actual burial to bring joy to the bride and groom, to provide them with all their needs. These are the physical acts of kindness. And there are no limits 
to what one must do to fulfill these requirements. This inventory of virtues is only a short list derived from specific verses, but a longer list, the elements of which appear throughout the millennial of Jewish literature includes granting interest-free loans to the needy, feeding the hungry anonymously, giving shelter to the homeless, providing jobs for those in need of work, speaking kindly to the dejected, bringing enemies together in friendship, imparting hope to the depressed, and giving care to the widows and orphans, and so on. See, but it was possible for this law to actually make it difficult to show kindness. Jesus addresses this with a question. He says, if, if one of you has a donkey and it falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, do you help pull it out? Or do you honor the Sabbath? Because there's this law that you're supposed to help and, and save life. But there's also this law that you obey the Sabbath. And the question is, what do you do when the law contradicts itself? What, what, is it, what do you do when you're supposed to do one thing and the law says you're supposed to do this as well? And what Jesus really drills down on and wants them to grasp is always, always err on the side of showing kindness and love and mercy. Always allow that, because that was the purpose of Torah, correct? That was the purpose of the law in the beginning. It wasn't these strict set of stringent rules that you had to follow to be right with God. No, it was to truly be God's community of people that lived together in unity. And that was the purpose of the law from the start, to bring people together and say, here is how you live in the family, in the community of God is his people. And Jesus finishes this story with a really powerful statement. He says, now you go and do likewise. You go and show kindness. You go and show mercy. And it's interesting. The expert in the law. You remember how he ends? Jesus asks, which one was the neighbor? And I think it's so telling the relationship Samaritans and Jews had. He does not even speak the name Samaritan. Instead, it was the one who showed mercy. It was the one who showed kindness. But then there's the next story. And so often I think we get bogged down in the details of the story that we miss what happens next. Because the next story that Luke tells is of Mary and Martha, where they're working and working and working, and one says to Jesus, well, why don't you tell my sister to come and help me? He says, Mary has chosen what is better. Because Mary has chosen to come and sit at Jesus' feet. So you have one story that ends with go and do. And the very next story ends with come and sit. Go and do, but then come and sit. 
Because when we talk about kindness, we're not just talking about trying harder within our own strength and power to do more acts of kindness. But we're talking about actually being transformed into the likeness of Christ so that Christ flows out of our life. His likeness flows out of our life. And this next story is not just simply continue to go and do, but it's this idea of come and sit. Because life has rhythm and balance to it. That these fruits don't come just because we try harder. They come because we've learned to sit and abide with Jesus. To be still and to be quiet and allow Him to transform us from the inside out. See, your story matters. Because God is using your story to be a part of His story to change this world. And your story has to find a place of rhythm and balance. It has to find a place where, yes, you're going and doing, but yes, you're also coming and sitting, where you're still and quiet at the feet of Jesus, where you're abiding in Him. But your story is not just about you. Your story is about what God is doing in this world. Because your story is a part of our story. And our story, we believe, is changing this world. That God has invited with us to partner with Him in the renewal and the restoration of all things. That your story matters because it's collectively a part of our story. And we've been talking over the last several months about the one. Who is the one person in your life that does not know Jesus, that you're praying for, that you're showing kindness and mercy and love to? Who who is the person that if you don't share Jesus' love with them, no one else may ever do it? Because we want to be a church who understand that people matter. People matter to God, and people matter to us. People matter, and they aren't just numbers. They're faces, they're lives of people that God dearly loves. And we are joining with Him, partnering with Him, and showing kindness in this world. Kindness that at times might be uncomfortable. Kindness that at times might make you step outside of your comfort zone. Kindness that at times might actually scare you. Kindness that at times might cost you something. But God's kindness, God's loyalty, God's unfailing love, is given to you freely and abundantly. And he invites you to join him in sharing it with this world. Father, today, um, Father, would you please transform us? Change us. Father, we hope and pray that we leave this place today different because we've encountered you.
We pray that we leave today with a renewed vision and understanding that your love endures forever and that it's seen through the generations and it's seen powerfully today in our church as well. Father, we also want to say a special prayer this morning for our friends, the Nelsons, for Brody and Ty and Courtney and Emily. Father, we pray that you would continue to show them kindness through the community that gathers around them, that shares life with them, and that you would continue to show Brody kindness every day. Father, we love him, and we pray in the powerful name of Jesus that you would heal him, that you would make him whole. And Father, whatever that means, help us to show kindness and walk alongside their family during this time as well. Father, transform us, change us, into the image of Christ, and may his likeness flow out of our life every day. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.